welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. This episode is brought to you by our partners at GameSite. GameSite provides full service campaign management, taking charge of consulting, influencer discovery, relationship management, billing, and reporting, leaving you free to focus on your core business. With their measurement platform and creator-focused programs, GameSite helps brands grow, increase revenue, and ensure player satisfaction worldwide. And since the company draws from almost a decade of battle-tested experience, including with notable customers like Bungie, Capcom, Ubisoft, and hundreds more, GameSite's attribution platform meets the unique needs of PC, console, and Web3 games. Notably, GameSite brings display, social, influencer, and affiliate marketing into one dashboard for easy comparison. Marketing attribution for PC and console games is complicated, but whether your game is free-to-play, premium, or supported by DLCs, GameSite has you covered. To learn more about how GameSite has served other games teams and how it can help yours, simply visit GameSite.io or check out the link in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Navic Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Ovori. Today, we are exploring the Bitcoin Lightning Network and what it might mean for Web3 gaming. Uh, as most of our listeners will know, just about all games that currently integrate some kind of blockchain technologies uh, are either on Ethereum, most likely via a Layer 2 solution, such as Polygon or Immutable X, or they're building on a more scalable but less decentralized layer one chain, such as Solana or Binance Smart Chain. Uh, but Bitcoin, the granddaddy of blockchains, has not attracted much attention from game developers, and for some very good reasons, um, but mainly because on-chain transaction on Bitcoin is very, very, very slow. And while Bitcoin uh, was probably never envisioned by its original creator, uh, Satoshi, as a gaming platform, that does not mean that game developers couldn't or shouldn't build on Bitcoin or integrate Bitcoin in some way, shape, or form, uh, especially given how important Bitcoin is to the overall crypto market share and mind share. But in order to make any headway on Bitcoin, if you want any kind of scalability, a layer two solution is required, just like on Ethereum. And so this is where the Bitcoin Lightning Network comes in. Uh, I am not technical, so I'm going to be very careful about how I describe uh, what the Bitcoin Lightning Network does. Um, but my understanding, and our, our guest today is going to uh, go a little bit deeper on this, is that uh, it was originally conceived of in 2015. Uh, and the Lightning Network is designed to overcome the scalability issues inherent with Bitcoin by opening up a series of bi-directional payment channels without delegating custody of funds. And that's as technical as I'm going to go. <laughs> um, and you as a developer, you're saying, hey, fantastic. But what does that mean for me? Um, as a game developer, can I really build scalable, accessible mass market games on Bitcoin? And to answer that question, and to dig deeper into what the Lightning Network does and is, and what it means for game developers, we have a great guest on the pod today. He is Ben Cousins. He is the Chief Strategy Officer at ZBD, which is building payment processing technology on top of Bitcoin using the Lightning Network. And ZBD's stated target customer is the gaming industry. And so he is perfectly positioned to take us on a journey 
into the bowels of Bitcoin and what it might offer for game devs. Ben, welcome to the pod. Thank you, Nico. I'm looking forward to taking us into the bowels of Bitcoin, as you put it. Fantastic. Um, and uh, as a kind of full disclosure note here, uh, ZBD is also a Novik sponsor. Uh, but I can assure you that us podcast hosts have complete editorial independence and that the Lightning Network is actually a topic I've been wanting to cover for a while anyway. So this is a happy coincidence um, that Ben and ZBD uh, are part of the, the Novik ecosystem as well. So with that intro out of the way, let's get right into it. Um, and I always like to start with this question, especially with folks who've, who've got a, a long and storied career, such as our guest today. Um, what was your journey, Ben, into Web3, uh, and specifically with this focus on, on gaming in Web3? Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think a lot of a lot of uh, the time I introduce myself is usually around the gaming side, but I'll, I'll focus on the the crypto side uh, given the subject matter. And I, I came in. I'm crypto class of 2015. Uh, I was introduced to. I was first introduced to Bitcoin by uh, an Argentinian friend of mine who was using it to send money home, and uh, I was open minded enough to try it. Is the way I'd describe it, and. Uh, I, I was a music pirate in my teens, is to disclaim uh, things lightly. Um, when I saw the public key encryption, the way that Bitcoin transactions worked, I had a bit of an aha moment, I would describe it as. And I, I was really quite open to the idea of uh, a digital form of money. I was, at the time, I was very, very skeptical, but I was open to the concept that this could come into existence. It wasn't uh, you know, it wasn't inherently a pyramid scheme or anything like that. I could understand that cryptographically this might work. Um, I think Ethereum Kate was around a year old at, at that point, and uh, I started playing around in that ecosystem as well. Um, this is, you know, back when the one—I think it was a one-minute block time ETH had back then—and it was, it, if it still does, I'm, it betrays my lack of uh, awareness now. But the—I um, remember using it then, and it was just much faster, much cheaper, and that was the kind of. Uh, way that ethereum came out um i moved from there into dabbling in crypto kitties uh diving into solana i was a very early participant in steemit as well which is like the first high profile uh proof of stake failure i think um but then we yeah and then it sort of all went full circle when lightning came out and i i found the uh instantaneity of bitcoin transactions too alluring so i kind of refocused on that and uh yeah, that's that's where I found myself playing ever since. I've just been I've been really blown away by the fact that we can now send money instantly online, peer to peer, with no financial intermediary. I love that, and uh, you know, uh, most of our focus on this this podcast, this segment of the podcast, has generally been on Ethereum or you know one of the other uh, layer ones like Solana, for example, which is where you know uh, Blockstars is building. We're building our our product. Um, so it's actually really refreshing and exciting to have somebody from the Bitcoin ecosystem to come on the show and talk about this because uh, I don't think it gets enough attention and especially doesn't get a lot of attention from the um, the gaming community. And so that's my next question on your background. Um, what's how did you you know why gaming and, and Bitcoin right? Like how did you how did you find that intersection? Why are you playing around in that intersection at ZBD? Yeah, so that that. Then thanks for asking, because that's actually where I come from. I, I'm originally from the gaming world. My family worked in video games. I began my my first ever job was doing QA for a video games company in Portsmouth in the UK when I was uh, about 16 or so. And I was I worked in games 
all the way through into my early to mid twenties, uh, and then I jumped over into investment banking uh, for the sh- for the sin of it. But I was over there, and I was still working on games. I was doing mergers and acquisitions and capital raising for video games companies. So I had this. For me, it was very much a, a bifurcated life where I was working on working in and around the games industry, but then in my spare time, really devoting myself to digging into crypto and Bitcoin and that whole ecosystem and trying to understand it. Um, and it was very fortuitous that I found myself in around 2018 or so uh, in a position to invest in, in gaming startups. I was working for a VC fund called Lakestar. Uh, and I was le- I was leading a seed investment strategy for games, uh, and just as the Web three kind of thing blew up, uh, and it was there that I encountered sort of all these different approaches to games plus the blockchain. And I think in many cases, uh, you know, cynicism and all of the market stories aside, there is there's a there 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 is there is something um, that is tapping into. There is something in in the collection of digital assets and the use of digital money in, in in interactive entertainment spaces that really does tap into something gamers have been looking for. Uh, I think that's my fundamental view. There's there's a ton of noise around that signal, uh, and everyone's trying to sort of go after this a similar or same goal. But uh, I do think in a world where, like a game, where the money itself is is fantastical. The economy is something sort of somewhat managed or illusory. It makes sense to use a digital form of value uh, to power that economy, um, and I think that's where the sort of the market heated up. And I, I found myself most interested in the lightning camp, as I said. But yeah, I really came at this through a get when it came to commercially applying crypto to my life. Gaming was really the only avenue I, I had in front of me, and it was very lucky that. Uh, the games industry looked at Web3 seriously, you know, in the last two to three years. Uh, obviously, I was very careful with my wording. Um, I don't want to get myself into trouble trying to describe something that I don't necessarily fully understand myself. Um, but my my notion, um, and probably most of our listeners or many of our listeners' notion of what the Lightning Network is, is it's essentially a layer two for Bitcoin, right? That's the way mm-hmm. to think about it. Um, but let's go a le- level deeper. Um, what is the Bitcoin Lightning Network? Um, how does it work? Why is it needed? What does it do? I'll do my best here. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think if, you know, if you cast, because there has been a lot of focus on the scalability of all kinds of blockchains. Um, and it's interesting to me how how Bitcoin was has really been a very small part of that, despite being the lion's share of market cap and volume of the ecosystem. Um, and I think I increasingly believe it's because it's a very different beast in how it's built and how it works, etc. But that's perhaps a conversation for depending on how deep down this rabbit hole we go. Um, you know, fundamentally, I think everyone when they encounter Bitcoin has, or any cryptocurrency, has a very similar experience. It's, it's a bit of a wow moment. And then you discover all of the flaws. So in Bitcoin, number one, first and foremost is, damn, this is slow, right? Even if I'm paying like a lot of money to get this transaction to the top of the queue, and I've managed to understand that about how blockchains work, this is still a 10-minute wait. Uh, to figure out that my transaction has happened. Um, Lightning solves that problem, and it solves it in the way that many, uh, well, it, it solves it like in, in the same approach to many other layer two scaling solutions across many other chains, which is it's a form of transaction batching. But critically, 
it isn't a blockchain. So the, the Lightning Network is, is not another blockchain on top of Bitcoin. Um, it is something different. And it revolves around this concept called payment channels, which I think you touched on in your introduction. Um, you can think of Lightning as being like a giant swimming pool full of liquid Bitcoin, a hot Bitcoin, Bitcoin that can be instantly spent and received. And if you were to look into that pool, if you were to swim underneath it and have a look, you would see it's comprised of thousands and thousands of payment channels between different people. Um, to isolate that down to a simple example for you and I, say, um, I you and I may, m- might frequently transact together. Who knows what it might be? Let's say Nico and Ben run a tab with each other for uh, the number of times we've been wrong about which Web3 game is going to be a hit. And we're transferring money back and forth between each other. Um, but we realize, wow, these, these uh, you know, doing this on the main chain is really expensive and it's not really a good use of our time. So why don't we just run this, this tab we've got? Why don't we run it separately? Let's, let's, let's open a channel to one another. You can think of it like having a bar on an abacus. and we, you know, we tend to spend between each other a hundred bucks. So we'll size that channel at a hundred bucks. And then until we're bored and decide to close out this bar tab between each other, uh, we'll just send money back and forth instantly and we won't report it to the blockchain. We'll just trust each other. That's, that's the fundamental concept of a payment channel. It's like opening a bar tab, if that, if that makes sense. Um, where the magic comes in with lightning is that. You and I might have a bar, a bar tab open to one another so we can pay each other instantly and cheaply. Um, but your friend, let's call them Peter, uh, might not have a channel open with me. So how do I pay Peter instantly on Lightning? Well, the answer is I can hop through you. And your incentive is you take a tiny fee for the pain of having to take a payment from me and route it through yourself to Peter. Um, that is called the gossip network. And that is how, through the kind of concept of six degrees of Kevin Bacon, the Lightning Network allows you to actually send to anyone on the network. So as long as you're connected to one person who is connected to another person and who is connected to another person, you can follow that chain all the way through to, for your payment to reach its destination. Um, I'll, I'll pause there because it was a bit, I was trying to explain a number of concepts, but is that, is that much clear to you? Yeah, I, I mean that that makes a ton of sense. Um, I'm curious as to why this has not been necessarily adopted to this point um, by the mainstream, by game developers in particular. Obviously, this is the the, the topic of our show. Um, so, mm. in a nutshell, what is it? What does the Lightning Network actually offer game developers? So I'm I'm a, I'm a game dev. I'm deciding which blockchain technologies to integrate. Why would I choose to build on Bitcoin? What does the Lightning Network do? Uh, what does it enable me to do as a as a developer? Um, I think the way to look at it is is Bitcoin is fundamentally a value transfer mechanism, right? It, it's not going to, and this is a this is a well known criticism of it, um, which, which I view as more of an asset. But that's again a separate conversation. That the you know Bitcoin doesn't do more than payments. It lets you send value from A to B, and thereafter you're done with it, and it's either in your bank account or you've sold it. Um, and when I say bank account, I mean your wallet. But uh, the you know what what Lightning allows you to do is have access to an instant global payment network. And I think something that people do not appreciate about Lightning is it's it's blockchain agnostic. 
So mm. technically, any chain can run Lightning. The fact that those some chains have decided not to is a mystery to me. Uh, there was a project on Ethereum called Raiden, which was a form of Lightning Network for Ethereum. It was, I think, it was abandoned uh, a, a fair while back. Um, Litecoin does actually run a, a form of Lightning Network, so it, it's really a very effective means of value transfer. And I would approach it as being the cheapest and most affordable form of sending value online that has ever been created. And when you say what can games developers do with this, I would take the approach that. Games revolve around transactions, right? Whether or not the game player or the gamer is aware of that, ultimately the commercial viability of the product revolves around transactions. It revolves around in-app purchases or ad consumption. Both of those are forms of transaction, in my opinion. If one is one is monetary, the other is not. The other is a form of you know you trade your attention, um, but for the Provider of that product for the video game developer, both are forms of monetization. Um, those forms of monetization carry costs, right? So when you the the most well known uh, sort of baddie in the room is the thirty percent Apple tax or thirty percent Google tax you pay on IAP. Um, but there's equally transaction costs associated with any form of payment. You know, it's in the range of three to seven percent for credit cards. It's in the range of you know you're you're losing. Um, Money on on ad networks through take rates at various levels of the stack. Um, on Lightning, you can process payments as small as one one thousandth of a cent. So this is very small amounts of money. You can send those economically, uh, and when you can do that, you can actually do a lot more in for in the form of rewarded engagement for your players. Um, this means you can take the cost of an in-app purchase down to sub one cent. If you want to, and there's a lot of evidence in the video games market that the lower the price point on the first IAP in a free-to-play game, the higher the conversion, and therefore the higher the ultimate LTV of the player. Um, but equally, you can do, and this is what we're really seeing happen in the market: you can do a lot more rewarded experiences where the unit economics actually work. So, if I'm, you know, let's say I'm a casual games developer, and I have Bought into this Web three thing, I've decided I've got to do it. My shareholders are all on board. You know, I need to enter this market. Um, how I have an ARP DAO in my across my portfolio of casual games of like fifteen to twenty cents, and my players are distributed across multiple territories. It's tough for me to crack an LTV higher than a dollar to a dollar fifty. How can I possibly send out? Something of value when the transaction fee on the network could be like twenty, thirty cents, and then I've destroyed my opt-out for the day. Like my unit economics don't work. Well, when you use Lightning, you can pay out rewards. As I said, there are a fraction of a cent, and all of a sudden the economics adds up. You can send a player a few hundred satoshis. The satoshi being the smallest unit of Bitcoin. It's one one hundred millionth of a Bitcoin. So you can think of it like Bitcoin pennies.、Um, You can send a user a hundred satoshis. That's probably about one cent or two cents, and their engagement goes through the roof because they're playing a free game that just shared a portion of its revenue with me, just for the sake of playing it. I've now got something of monetary value out of the game, and that the unit that I received is liquid worldwide with multiple off ramps. 
so I can then go and spend it immediately. Um, I think that's something else that isn't appreciated about uh, the Bitcoin and Lightning networks, and that is that there is an exchange in pretty much every country with decent liquidity. So if you give that, if you give a unit of Bitcoin to someone in Indonesia and they don't have any interest in hodling, as we saw in Axie Infinity, for example, they just want to sell it to buy goods for their life, uh, Bitcoin can sustain that sale pressure because it's liquid enough. Right? So a, a million people selling individually 25, 30 cents of Bitcoin a day doesn't move the price of Bitcoin. Uh, and that is an, a very powerful form of rewarded engagement for a game developer. And you ultimately increase your retention, uh, which drives up your LTV and improves the unit economic performance of your game. I, I think that's the best answer I can try to give to explain how, you, how and why you might use this. Oh, that was a fantastic answer. Uh, and it actually leads nicely into my, my next kind of line of questioning, um, which, well, a, a couple of questions here. Um, you mentioned Axia Infinity there, which is great because you know, obviously that's a, you know, the, the biggest example of you know, rewarded gameplay, i.e. play to earn up until this mm -hmm. point. And obviously we saw and we've seen with just about every play to earn game, if you can call them games, um, that they're not sustainable. Um, and what you alluded to here is, hey, you actually could create uh, a sustainable uh, experience because you can't move the price of Bitcoin unless you're absolutely talking about massive numbers, massive whales, which of course, you know, those players, those people, individuals don't need to be rewarded, right? Mm -hmm, <laughs> um, through, mm -hmm. through gameplay. So, so there, you're, you're saying there's this, there's this world where you could actually create a, a gameplay experience where if you are choosing to reward your players, it would be sustainable from a kind of a macroeconomic perspective. Um, now, obviously, it's going to cost the, the developer. It's a lot cheaper to, to create your own token out of thin air <laughs> um, and reward people with infinite supply, whereas, to your point, Bitcoin has monetary value, which means me as a developer, I have to eat the cost of doing that. So I'm where, I'm, where am I going with this line of questioning? Where I'm going with this is, even though using Bitcoin to reward your players you could do it uh, and not have it be unsustainable from a macroeconomic perspective. However, uh, it becomes less sustainable for you as a developer. I know you just alluded to this because you were talking about ARP DAOs and you, know, you have ways of monetizing your players through, through other means. But how do you mm. see rewarding players through Bitcoin as a game developer where I have to eat that cost? How do you see that being sustainable? Um, and are there some good examples out there that you can point to? Where, where developers are doing that? Yeah, yeah, it's, that's a very good question. It's the way I have always approached it is it's, it's actually a question of margin, right? You're, what you're doing is you're taking either a percentage of a steady income stream, call it ad revenue, or you're taking an estimate of your player LTV, which every game developer does, and you're sharing that back to the player. So cl clearly you're never going to share 100% back to the player or you have something unsustainable. That's just, we don't need to go there. Yep. But if you, so the question becomes what percentage, right? How, how, what's it, what gives you the biggest bang for your buck? I.e., what level of payout or revenue share to the player drives the optimum level of re-engagement or enhanced retention or, you know, maximized monetization, whatever your North star is. Um, and this is very similar, actually, to how many game developers approach offer wall products when they're thinking about inflation of the soft currencies in their game. 
Uh, and that's how we encourage developers to think. What you're, what you're really doing is like a, a supercharged, uh, rewarded engagement platform. And, you know, most, I don't, you know, we're pretty happy sharing that most developers that we've come across are sharing in the range of 10 to 20%. Um, and it's driving, it's driving more than 5x uplift in monetization and engagement. Um, but I think to, to keep it on a sort of path of thinking about how lightning and how lightning enables a lot of this, um, I wouldn't want us to think it's only about rewarding players. What you actually have in your hands with Lightning is a, is a full peer-to-peer -peer payment network, right? So money can also come into the game and trade between players can also happen within a game environment. You have a fully liquid token. Um, I should also say that for what it's worth, I think the very same argument holds true for stable coins. So I'm not, I'm not mm. saying this is like a Bitcoin thing. Um, I think this is true for video games, but I do notice that when you look at video game economics, most of the stable coins sit on crypto rails where the transaction fees are too high for the unit economics. So, you know, if I'm using USDC on Polygon, I'm looking at like a 10 cent or 5 cent transaction fee. But when you're talking about like LTV of a gamer in Brazil, that's actually like a really huge chunk of the player LTV, like a massive chunk. So that's not economical. Um, and that's what, that's where lightning really shines. I think that's, that would be the critical thing I'd want to convey is that you're talking about transaction costs that are, they're so low. You can afford to stream money in real time. You can send payments per second of like microscopic amounts of value. Uh, consider things like, and these, we have seen examples of this in the real world. So I'm not, I'm not talking hypothetically. Um, you could have a racing game like F0, where when you drive into that area that recharges your car's health, you could actually be streamed money as you're in that area. So you could be paid for the five seconds that you're driving through that refuel zone. Um, you could then decide that you want to spend that money knocking another player off of the racetrack. Uh, and all these payments are real open network payments. There's, it's not being... It's not smoke and mirrors. You're actually utilizing the Lightning Network. Uh, it is sufficiently performant to do that, which is where I get very excited. Like this is this to me is a window into the future of how we will spend money online, how we will interact with money online. Yeah, I mean, I I, I buy that vision. I think it is really quite interesting and exciting. And I have to say, I I mean, much to my discredit here, um, I didn't know much about the Lightning Network or what was possible using Bitcoin as a game developer until you and I chatted a couple of weeks ago and decided to do this episode. Uh, and I've been kind of researching it ever since. But I still have this, this niggling question uh, where it sounds very exciting. It sounds extremely sustainable, for lack of a better phrase, as long as you have a game that monetizes at some level, right? Like it needs to mm -hmm. monetize at some level, um, at which point you can kind of facilitate these very, very cheap transactions back and forth, uh, create a peer-to-peer -peer economy and have these things have real value in the real world, which, you know, I mean, that's kind of the holy grail for a game developer. And I'm still niggling myself here. Why have so few games been built on Bitcoin so far? Why, why is it still such a niche uh, area? At, at least to my knowledge, um, there haven't been any big efforts by big developers to try and do something 
uh, on Bitcoin. And I'm just curious as to why, you know, from your perch in the ecosystem, um, why do you think that is? And, and are you seeing more adoption? Because again, the conversation is still all about Ethereum or it's about these new layer ones or it's about NFTs and trading those in an OpenSea mm-hmm. or Magic Eden or whatever. And, and that's where all the mindshare is right now. That's where all the conversation is, where the buzz was, where all the venture dollars went um, over the last you know two or three years. Um, yeah. And there just hasn't really been much of a light shone on Bitcoin, despite the fact that it sounds like it's actually arguably much more sustainable to build there. Um, if you're trying to do something that sustains over time, as opposed to you know creating your own token and ponzing that to to the moon, which worked for a while, but obviously doesn't work for forever. I think there's a number of factors underpinning this. Uh, some, I think, we if you're someone working in the Lightning ecosystem, it pays to be self-critical at times, and others, I think, are un- unrelated to Lightning. So, to give some facts or some sort of observation on what what does the bitcoin gaming lightning ecosystem look like today um it is heavily heavily skewed towards casual and hyper casual um this uh, i i increasingly think now this is no coincidence i think it's because it solves that unit economic problem like i think if you mm. if you ignore the fact that you're using bitcoin for a second if you just if you put yourself in a game developer's shoes and and you know there's i'm talking about game developers beyond Zebedee's customer base in this instance. We've encountered other game developers who have done, who have opted to go the lightning route and they've never even heard of Zebedee. Um, they, what they've encountered is that actually this does supercharge retention like enough that they can now start to scale their hyper-casual games that previously had no scale. And we're really talking hyper-casual here. Things like Flappy Bird, you know, Ball in the Hoop, these type of super, like what um, Voodoo and Rolik and those guys all go after. Um, that's where you'll find 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 Bitcoin lightning powered games. Uh, some of them with a million, you know, users, 400 K dailies, really quite significant user bases, much more significant than you find in the sort of higher profile web three IP space. Mm. Uh, and I think that's a very interesting dichotomy you've got going on where there's, there's the market, there's marketed IP that is launched and I'll come to that in a second. And then there's like this casual sort of mini clip style gaming, which is actually getting really significant user bases. Um, but it's not, it's not so much about the crypto piece. Really what's going on is the developers of the titles are making a calculated business decision and saying, okay, I'll use Bitcoin as a form of reward here. And good. I like that it supercharged my LTV. So great, I'll do that. And I'm not going to advertise this game as a Bitcoin game. I'm not going to make a big noise about it. I'm just going to basically be able to fuel my UA now because my LTV has jumped up. So that, that's one side of how I would frame things. Um, you know, And I would say that a cursory search on Google Play will prove what I am saying. If you start looking for Bitcoin casual games, you'll, you'll encounter a lot. Um, the... Other side of it does speak to the IP piece. And I think there was a mixture of things that went on there. So one thing is I I do believe um, that collectibles or the idea of digital goods really resonates in the gaming world. And until recently, Bitcoin had no answer there. You know, Bitcoin did not do NFTs. Mm-hmm. Um, we now there's now a thing called ordinals, which is Bitcoin NFTs. And it's it's interesting to see companies like Animoca publicly saying like, oh, we'll, we'll look at this because this is interesting. Like it's it solved, you know, 
someone devised a uh, solution to that product market need, so to speak. It's all open source and blah, blah, blah. But you know, if I'm speaking commercially, the way I look at that is, ah, now there's an NFT product on the Bitcoin protocol. It's widely used. Magic Eden supports it. More exchanges are adding it. So there is an answer there, but it's very, it is very early. Uh, I would expect that ecosystem within the Web3 gaming world to demonstrate growth in the next 18 to 24 months. Um, and if anyone you know, listening on your podcast hasn't taken a look at Ordinals, I would encourage them to. They're, they're quite interesting. Um, but the other side of it is, is actually more, I'm going to sound a little bit cynical, but as someone who was operating commercially in this market during the last sort of big uh, wave of adoption and the and the sort of crypto mania that followed, um, there were definitely commercial deals at play where games companies were promised you know millions of dollars in a token if they adopted the token and pushed the token to the market, and that's that's artificially propping up a market. That's not a real market. Mm. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think it's kind of interesting that you know Bitcoin is what started it all. And now there's this, you know, there was this wave of mania, tulip mania with all these different chains and layer twos and new layer ones. And they were all going to solve the gaming problem. And, and, you know, to your point, there were a lot of, there was a lot of money changing hands, right? A lot of VC money mm-hmm. coming in and Bitcoin just kind of chugged along, non-commercial, non, you know, non-sponsored, uh, um, uh, had all the problems that we know it has and still does have, I, I, I think. Yeah. Um, but it's almost kind of coming full circle. Uh, in in some ways, based on what you're saying here, where well, Bitcoin actually is going to be around. It's not going anywhere. Nobody can take it away from from the world. Um, it's just going to keep chugging along as long as there is there are people who want to do transactions and you know exchange value digitally. Bitcoin will be around essentially. I mean, there's no guarantee it's going to be around for a hundred years <laughs> or even you know a decade, but it's going to be around for a lot longer than I think some of these other uh, chains and these other uh, you know, products that have propped up um, this kind of VC mm. money fueled ecosystem. Um, more of an observation, I think, than than a question there. Yeah, um, no, you're, you're definitely singing from my songbook there. Like, I, I don't. There's a faction of Bitcoin, of Bitcoin culture or Bitcoin fandom, which is very uh, judgmental and looks down on this stuff. I do not mm-hmm. take that view. I view it more like the it's money is boring when it works. And that's why Bitcoin seems boring at times, yeah. right? Like it doesn't, that, it doesn't spot break. Spot on. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, 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 that's my observation as well, especially listening, the more I'm listening to you to speak about this. Um, it, you know, Bitcoin is incredibly boring. Uh, it does mm-hmm. what it's intended to do, which is, you know, transfer of value digitally peer to peer in a completely decentralized way. It does it really well. I want to say really well. <laughs> it, it does it well. Um, it hasn't broken th- yet. That's how I hasn't think. That's broken, how I yeah, <laughs> right, right. Let's, yeah, exactly. Let's put it that way. It hasn't broken yet. It uh, has its problems, but you know, it does that piece really well without any bells mm. and whistles. Um, and yeah. when something is it's boring, like, um, it doesn't it's like get a lot dollars of are boring. Yeah, yeah. like pe- people don't. I mean, everyone loves accumulating dollars. Like that's that's not this be right. up front here. Like, it, but dollars themselves are boring. Like games don't come out going like, and I featured dollars in my game. Right. Like that, no one no one cares, right? Because it's just sort of okay, great. There's payments involved, and I do take the view that Bitcoin's very similar in that sense. Like it's it's hard to market in and of itself the fact that you're using a global currency, but if you give your users a global currency that they can sell anywhere, 
your addressable market grows, the ability to reach those customers is very easy because you're using a payment rail that is inherently global. You know, it's it's born on the internet, it's of the internet. Um, and if you use it in ways that it that you know it can handle right now, such as microtransactions in games on Lightning, it performs very well. Uh, if you try and push it to do things that the you know the developers or contributors to Bitcoin haven't got to yet or something that is contentious, you're going to hit a brick wall. Like there's no there's no point uh, pretending otherwise. And I think that's where other chains come in. Um, I can definitely see a future where I may go to a service or product or service that is built on another chain and I will spend Bitcoin to access that service and I'll receive some sort of token or access coin or NFT or whatever to use that service. And then when I leave, I might get some Bitcoin back and go on my way. Or I might take USDC. Like, who, who knows? But I, I see Bitcoin as sit, sitting in the very much in the money and payments aspect of mm. things. Uh, and it doesn't really play in the sort of smart contract pro- program, uh, programmability space. And that, that's okay. Like, I, I think it's yeah. um, a false argument to sort of go down that path. Yeah, yeah. So different, different product, different solution. Uh, mm-hmm. Not trying to do lots of the bells and whistles. Not trying to like. I mean, you know, we're building on Solana, and Solana pitched itself to us when we first made the choice to build there as, "Hey, it's great for gaming. It's super, you know, fast. It's scalable, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And Bitcoin really isn't trying to do that or trying to make any claims. Mm. In fact, it makes no claims whatsoever. Um, so yeah. let's um, let's uh, talk a little bit about. So we, we've talked a lot about Bitcoin Lightning Network you know, what the gaming ecosystem currently looks like on Bitcoin. I'm learning a ton here. So thank, thank you, Ben. I hopefully our, our, our audience is, is learning a ton here too. Uh, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about uh, ZBD, ZBD mm-hmm. um, and what you do. Uh, why have you chosen gaming specifically as a use case? Uh, you, you could focus on other use cases, I'm presuming. Um, but you've very squarely chosen gaming as that use case. Um, that's what you put in your most of your marketing materials. Um, mm. And we'll talk a little bit about your investors in a second as well. Um, what do you do uh, and how do you do it? Yeah, so I, I think um, something I didn't mention when describing Lightning, uh, and I think actually anyone in the crypto space, space who's really who's following Lightning will, will, have, will call me out on this. Lightning is actually pretty difficult to run yourself. Um, that's, you know, you, you need to not just be Bitcoin technical, as in you need to understand certain Bitcoin terms like UTXOs, um, but equally you need to know how to manage liquidity. So while I gave that bar tab analogy of you and I open a bar tab together and we can transact instantly with each other, what actually goes on down on the base chain there is that we open a smart contract with each other, what's called a two of two multi-sig, a multi-signature transaction. Uh, and then that's sort of written into the Lightning Protocol. The Lightning Protocol interprets that. We have a channel. It's all, it gets technical. And my point, the reason I say that is what Zebedee does is it abstracts that away into a single API. So Zebedee at its core, what, what the actual uh, name of the company stands for is Zebedee empowers Bitcoin-enabled digital economy engines. And that that is what the, the base of our system is. We are a uh, licensed and regulated lightning api that anyone can use and you can think of it as it allows you to stick bitcoin payments into your game or application like whatever your if you want it to speak bitcoin the fastest and easiest way to do it is by using zebedee that's that's the sort of pitch um to 
then sort of move away from being too uh, too much of a walking advert. The reason we we targeted uh, the games industry, or the reason we opened with the games industry, is not least of which because um, two of the three co-founders. It was co-founded by uh, Andre, who's a CTO, Simon, our CEO, and Chris, who's our head of R and D. Uh, two or three of them, Chris and Simon, are gamers. Uh, Chris, in particular, uh, he's known as Mandel Duck Online, uh, made the first Bitcoin games in around 2011 or so. Hmm. Uh, and if you go back and look at screenshots of those games, you'll be really de- you'll be really depressed at how much Bitcoin Chris was paying out to people because <laughs> it, oh, it was a lot. Of, it was a lot of money. <laughs> um, but but back then it wasn't. Um, but yeah, so the he- and so there's been this awareness of Bitcoin and games work well together in the company's DNA. Uh, and then equally a more rational commercial decision of understanding that lightning shines when it comes to micropayments. The gaming industry is an industry that is built around micropayments uh, post-free-to-play. And therefore, there's probably the strongest product market fit uh, in that environment. Um, we have seen, I'll share with you, you know, a sort of Bitcoiner perspective on the Bitcoin ecosystem, uh, we have seen folks in Lightning try and go after after e-commerce, try and go after uh, remittances, try like all sorts of Bitcoin use cases, right? Ah, oh, digital global money. Um, arguably, just because Lightning is here, that hasn't solved the problem because if you try and send more than sort of three, four, five thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin over Lightning today. Uh, you will. There's a high chance that your payment will hang or or get stuck because there isn't enough liquidity in Lightning yet to process a transaction that large. But if you're down sub a thousand dollars or you're at the a thousand dollar mark, and maybe these days a bit above that, you're going to have no problems whatsoever. So we were thinking, okay, what are you know what? Where are these spaces where you have very frequent sub one thousand dollar transactions? And that's it. again, that's where gaming came up. Um, and that's sort of what underpinned it. We we also spent a long time at the very beginning of the company evaluating whether or not this shouldn't be done with stable coins. And that's where we sort of had this deep dive on transaction fees on stable coin networks mm. and what would go on there. And that's where we concluded uh, Lightning would probably work best. So long-winded answer to say gaming's in the DNA. And we also assessed the gaming market and thought this looks like it works for Lightning. One of your uh, your CEO founder uh, Simon, you mentioned his uh, name is actually Simon Cowell. Uh, I discovered, it is, yeah. which uh, <laughs> I don't, which I I found entertaining. It wasn't the Simon Cowell, um, I don't think, but uh, nonetheless, uh, fun fun side fact there. Um, I'm sure he, he tells me it really helps for restaurant reservations. Apparently, I bet it does. I bet it does. <laughs> Probably uh, very annoying in other parts of his life, though. Uh, <laughs> I, I would imagine. Um, so one of your taglines is where fun meets Bitcoin. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, which I really like. Um, but one of the things you've been talking about here is you're not even emphasizing Bitcoin necessarily. Um, you're just, you know, emphasizing, uh, peer to peer, you know, micropayments essentially. Um, Mm. web three games in general have very much, um, de-emphasized. It's it's not very, uh, uh, fashionable at the moment for a web three, uh, game developer to emphasize the fact that they're on Ethereum or on Solana or they have NFTs or whatever. It's, you know, digital collectibles. And, you know, it's, we don't talk about tokenized economies. We just talk about, you know, economies, game economies. Um, you've chosen at least in, in this tagline to emphasize the fact that, hey, it's Bitcoin. It really like, you know, uh, 
uh, it's crypto, right? If, if anything mm-hmm. screams crypto, Bitcoin screams crypto. So I'm curious yeah. to hear uh, why you've chosen that positioning. Um, is, it, is it helpful? I think, you're the, I think you're the first person who's asked me that uh, in gaming. You, uh, it's interesting. Um, so we actually spend quite a lot of time doing user research, both on our own users and on what I would call like market sentiment. It's, it's a very wishy-washy way of putting it. But we, we try and figure out what people are thinking about crypto at any given point in time. Because obviously in bull runs, all bets are off and everyone's like racing, everyone's racing for everything. And in bear markets, people might, you know, throw a plate at you across the dinner table if you bring up crypto again. So it's, it really sort of depends, you know. Um, but I would say there's there's a few sides to this. One is um, the Bitcoin community itself has historically been and is, you know, continues to be a very, uh, quite a serious bunch of people. Um, when you're talking about, and uh, forgive me for getting a bit Bitcoiny here, but when you're talking about building like a full decentralized money to replace the dollar, uh, it attracts a lot of folks who, you know, that that is the mission, right? We're we're gonna build decentralized money for the internet, and I don't care about the use case, the special need, whatever. Like the mission is to is to build internet money that the state does not control. Um, when you're in an industry like gaming and entertainment, you know, I don't really think a 16-year-old who's playing Fortnite needs to be hit with like uh, Austrian economic lecture on how central <laughs> planning for financial systems doesn't necessarily breed a healthy financial, you know, blah, blah, blah. So maybe that's not like the way to go here when you're trying to speak to a teenager. That's That's one angle. So we do deliberately say, you know, Bitcoin can be fun too. It, you don't necessarily have to hodl it. It's fun to send it around. Uh, it's fun. There's a new thing that the Bitcoin community is raging about right now called Nostr. It's like a social networking layer on top of Bitcoin. Um, we'd have to do a, a whole, I don't have time to go into it. We'd have to do a whole other session on it. But um, that in, in that model, uh, a like is called a zap. And a zap is a payment. And so instead of liking content, you send micropayments. And I get very excited about this because to me, this is breaking the mentality of hodl till you die. You know, it's it's much mm-hmm. more like, hey, you no, know, you got a bit of Bitcoin, just like send it to a friend, who cares? You know, they made a nice cat meme. It's all shits and giggles. Uh, pardon my French, but like that's sort of how I, I sort of see that. Um, so that's one reason we do lean into that. The other is that... Um, in, I will share that in the in the bull market, we were actually playing down the crypto side of things. Uh, we noticed in talking to game developers that they were very allergic to a crypto pitch, given how much they were being inundated with crypto pitching. Mm-hmm. Um, so we focused on peer-to-peer value transfer, money in games, etc., uh, and that that worked for us. That that was a it, it did help in terms of making people aware of what lightning is good for and what it is not good for and why the fact that it is bitcoin might not be a big deal now that we're in you know a, a bear market um we notice that bitcoin is the trusted crypto in terms of mm-hmm. it's the one you can say hey we're bitcoin and people go okay at least you're that one right like i yeah. get okay i get that one the the orange coin i recognize you know this other one i didn't i'd never seen before so we we lean into it more now because we can tell that our users say, 
okay, good. You're not, you're not sending me a, you know, a bag of um, snails. You're actually giving me some money here. And the other side of it is we are, we do not, like I said, we don't encourage our users to hold necessarily. We don't tell them to go buy a USB stick and keep it under their bed. We say, you, you just got 10 cents from a game. If you play it for a few more days, you might have a dollar. If you get five dollars, you've got enough to top up your phone for the week, and we can. And our system lets you do that, right? We've linked up with mm. with merchants and so on to let people cash out quickly into things that actually are, have tangible value. Um, and I think, in general, that is a key. Again, to pull it away from Zebedee, um, I think it is a key thing. Lightning and any and any crypto uh, network needs to demonstrate is real world utility, um, and that gets thrown around like. Oh, you know, if if someone buys a pizza or something, it's real world utility. But you need you need it consistently. You need you need it all the time, and that is like the default user behavior. And then then you've demonstrated utility. Um, and to to me, that's what's exciting about Lightning is that you can send Bitcoin from the US to the UK. You're in the US, aren't you? So let's say you mm -hmm. sent me. Let's say you were using Cash App in the US. You could load up your Cash App with 10 bucks of Bitcoin, you could send me those $10 of Bitcoin instantaneously asking no one's permission on the internet. I receive them here in the UK and I can cash them out instantly to pounds uh, through like Coin Corner, a UK exchange I use or any other. And the total fee we will pay in that whole thing is less than a foreign exchange fee. So you start to see like, oh, wow, you have instant money transfer. You can swap it out on either end because it's liquid enough. And it speaks internet, so you can stick it into games and applications. And now you have a full global linked-up economy using an internet currency as the conduit. And I, that, to me, I, I just can't get away from that. It's it's super, super powerful. That's that's revolutionary technology. Yeah, I mean, and that's arguably going right back to the original vision for for Bitcoin. I, I kind of joked in the intro. I said, you know, Satoshi probably didn't imagine. Uh, micropayments and games as uh, you know as one of the use cases but but arguably you know the more you'd speak uh, it's quite compelling to me that that actually that very much could be one of the original use cases envisioned by Satoshi uh, for Bitcoin not not in its it, don't, purest yeah. form but don't but, quote uh, me on this I, th okay. I think I think in the original I'd have to do some googling I think in the original Bitcoin client that Satoshi released, there was a Bitcoin poker game. I think that was in there. I think one of the first things right. that was was built into Bitcoin Core was a little game, and I think it was poker. Um, you just you just reminded me of that. I hadn't thought of okay. that in a long, long time. Uh, yeah, I'd have to check. Yeah. I'd have to fact check that. All right. Um, well, let's let's both fact check that because that's uh, <laughs> that, that would be quite fascinating, actually. Um, okay. So uh, you raised a bunch of money uh, at Zebedee to to do um, you know build out this vision, uh, very compelling. Um, and one of the investors that you've got um, in the mix, uh, it, which is the one that caught my eye the most, is Square Enix, uh, Japanese gaming giant, mm -hmm. of course, fam uh, famous for Final Fantasy mostly, um, but a bunch of other games as well. Um, they've been one of the most bullish on Web three. Uh, since the very beginning, um, although they just lost their longtime CEO, who was who was pushing a lot of that vision, um, they're an investor uh, in in uh, Zebedee, and I'm very curious to hear. Uh, I think you do have some collaborations with them, but I, I'm definitely curious to hear. Uh, they are one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, you know, large developer that most people have heard of that are really pushing the boundaries 
on Web3 and continue to do so even through the, mm-hmm. the crypto winter that we're in. Um, what are you doing with them? Uh, why did they invest? Um, what, what, what are they working on um, that? Is interesting. That would be interesting to our, yeah. To, yeah, that you can that you can share uh, with our listeners. They're, I will I will say they're a terrific, uh, and I, I don't say this in some sort of um, cheesy way. They are they actually turned out to be a terrific shareholder to work with and communicate with. They're very open and transparent, and they're very collaborative. Um, we so the first thing we did actually was we did uh, put our technology in one of their games. It was a game called Ludo Zenith. Uh, they but I honestly believe what they wanted to do was put our hypothesis to the test with one of their own products. And uh, we drove a, a roughly 80% increase in ArcDAO for that title. So they were they were happy with that. Um, and that title's still going on. The, the deeper discussions we have with them, I, I'm not going to be able to share anything about. But what I, what I will share, and I think I can share, is they're not what I don't think they're what folks would be would instinctively reach for. We're not we don't talk to larger AAA game developers about uh sticking Bitcoin in Final Fantasy. Like that's that's mm-hmm. you know, that's not the conversations we have with them. Um the conversations are much more centered around the fact that we run payments infrastructure. Um that's like I, I, I can't really go much further than that because it's A, it's not in any kind of material uh place where it makes sense to disclose things but also uh it's this is a very early market um and i think there's a lot there's a lot of moving pieces but yeah really you know i would focus on the fact that zebedee is at its core global regulated microtransactional payment infrastructure and that's that's powerful in and of itself mm-hmm. okay um all right. Well, we'll just have to watch this space. Um, definitely curious to see what uh, what Square Enix does. Uh, yes, I take your point that uh, I, I wish I could announce. Yeah, I, I wish I could <laughs> announce like Bitcoin Monster Hunter or something. But, I, but yeah. that's yeah, that's that's not, not what yet. we're in, that's not what we talk about. Yeah. No. No. Fair enough. Um, okay. So we're kind of heading towards the the uh, the end of our hour here together. Um, I, You've convinced me <laughs> um, that you know Bitcoin uh, you. and and the Lightning Network uh, are definitely relevant for for game developers. Uh, it may be a certain segment of the gaming market for now, and it may not be for every developer certainly. But I, I can definitely um, see the the arguments for adopting something like Lightning Network. Uh, and uh, you know, I you said it really well at the start. It's kind of like imagine an offer wall, right? I mean, so familiar with offer walls. I used to make. Uh, social casino games, slots games back at my last company. And, um, you know, we monetized the early titles entirely through ads. We had very low mm. um, uh, IAP conversion rates initially until we had a hit product. But so initially we, we monetized through ads and all the ad networks and had them competing against each other and had their offer walls in there. And so I'm very, very familiar with that. And I, I totally see how Bitcoin would just be a phenomenal solution uh, especially if you can do it at those kind of very very low transaction costs and for very small amounts, um, and not give away your your entire LTV um, to to the players. So, hundred percent see that as a great use case. Um, but I'm curious uh, to kind of end end our show here is what do you think needs to happen for Bitcoin to be perhaps taken more or quote seriously by the developer community? I, I don't think I'm the only one. Who I'm not skeptical about integrating Bitcoin into into games, um, mm. and I see the arguments that you're making. But I know I'm not unique 
in having that feeling like, huh, like Bitcoin is just so hard. It's like the, the Bitcoin maxis are really maxis about Bitcoin for that, you know, global digital currency use case, not really for anything else. Um, yeah. And I'm just very curious to hear your thought. And it's been around for the longest as well. And, and those, those maxis haven't really changed their mind um, over the years. And so I'm just very curious to hear your thoughts on what needs to happen, in your opinion, for there to be more adoption of Bitcoin, Lightning Network, or otherwise, other solutions, uh, you know, in gaming, but more broadly uh, as well. Hmm. It's a, yeah, it's something we obviously ask ourselves quite a lot. Um, I would share that we've got other shareholders from the games industry as well. Um, you know, most notably, uh, Hilmar, the CEO of CCP, is an investor in us. And uh, we speak to these folks pretty frequently, um, monthly, bi-monthly, whatever it might be. And we, we do trade sort of ideas, high-level knowledge, high-level awareness. And I think it comes back to um, a very recurring theme, which is, and it, it's on... Um, you know, this is on Zebedee to, to deliver this and not so much on Lightning, I think, when it comes to gaming. Um, but that is that there needs to be more, uh, I think, larger game developers, owners of significant IP, etc., need to see more real-world use cases of the technology in more scaled environments. So um, we recently collaborated with some folks who modded Minecraft, and now you go into Minecraft and you joke mine bitcoin right so you, you're not actually mining it you're you're um fake mining it but you have to go and dig emeralds out of the ground in minecraft and then that lets you buy uh asics in the game to mine bitcoin but the game is actually paying you bitcoin like there it's real bitcoin that you start earning once you start mining um the retention on that product is fantastic and we're starting to share that data with partners um we also have some more significant PC-based IP coming, which I think will really demonstrate to the esports ecosystem that there is a business model here that is beyond just advertising. You can you can actually monetize prize pools and transactions real time in games uh, when you have PvP competitive play. Because the, one of the first things that uh, we did, and it was one of the first things in, in Lightning Gaming, was we infused uh, Counter Strike with Bitcoin. So when I shot you, you dropped a coin in the game, like an actual 3D coin. And when I grabbed that coin in the game, it was sent to my wallet in real time. Uh, we're bringing that back in with a more significant piece of IP. And my hope is that folks will see that and realize, okay, so it's not just mobile casual and rewards. It's also competitive play PVP. It's also circular economies when you have simulated trade. This is, it really is. A, an economy engine, right? This is something where you can insert money into your game. And I mean insert money in the circular sense. So when we had coin-op games and you got playtime, now it's actually, you insert your 25 cents. There's 25 cents in the game now. Where do you want to allocate it? How do you want to spend it? And games are multiplayer. So that could mean that you give it to another player in exchange for goods or services. Um, so I think, you know, the... The holy grail many folks want, and this includes, you know, this isn't just lightning, is, you know, like a, a massive MMORPG that runs a giant simulated economy with like a real value base. That would be, it would just be incredible, right? It would be such a fascinating thing to watch and study and see all the ups and downs of. Um, 
And I do think we'll get there regardless of whether it's Bitcoin and another crypto or anything. I think that's going to come to market, but it might take a decade. Um, in the short term, I think well, I would, if I were a game developer right now, I would be paying a lot of attention to the complaints uh, Tim Sweeney and the Epic crowd put out in public around payment processing fees and the margin erosion there, because they're not they're not alone. And I know this is a well trodden debate in the games industry, but you know the that piece of payment processing is actually quite critical margin for games developers, and it can mean the difference between a successful product. And an unsuccessful product, and if you're, and then it also equally, if you're scaled, if you're like a supercell or otherwise, it can mean the difference in sort of 15, 20% of your EBITDA margin, right? It's like a big, big old chunk of cash that you're you're leaving on the table. And Lightning takes that right down, right? It takes it right down to like one percent or so. Um, and it is, from a regulatory point of view, from a market awareness point of view, it, Bitcoin might be crypto. I'm not shying away from that, but it is definitely the one that if you go to a US regulator, they're like, yeah, that's fine. Please pass on through. If you go to the European regulator, they say, yes, that's fine. Go to the exchange and sell it because it's old, as you say. Like it's, it's been around. They, people get it. The orange logo, cool. That one's kosher. It's not something new. Um, and in that sense, it's an easy way to dip your toes into this world understand the benefits that crypto assets bring to digital environments. And from there, you know, the world's your oyster. You can choose whatever path you want. Um, but at least now you're processing value. And that wasn't possible before. Yeah, I mean, I think that argument about about margins and, and LTVs, like it's such a, a finely tuned machine these days, you know, acquiring users and like the the formulas and the spreadsheets that run those calculations are massive and leaving even a point or never mind, you know, 15 or 20 points, you know, basis points on the uh, on the table is is madness, right? And can mean mm -hmm. the difference between a successful studio and, a, uh, and one that has to shutter their doors because they just can't spend profitably. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I have to say that very, very compelling conversation. Um, I, I did some research for Thank this episode, you. but I have learned so much more from you about how this all works and uh, uh, have found it absolutely fascinating to think about, rethink about Bitcoin for the first time in many years. Like I'm a hodler. I've been a Bitcoin hodler since you know I first got into crypto, probably 2015, <laughs> 2015, 2016 timeframe. So not super early, but early enough. And I've done nothing but nice. hodl my Bitcoin and I just really haven't thought about it in all the years since. And this is why it was so fascinating to have you come on to kind of reinvigorate uh, the brain cells a little bit and kind of question the assumptions that we've been making about Bitcoin and what it's used for and what is it good for and what can it do and what can it do. Um, and I love the fact that you guys are questioning those assumptions and uh, hopefully our, our listeners will have found this as fascinating as I, as I have. So Ben, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for the very kind words just then. I appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, we'd like to try and make our guests feel good. And you're starting your weekend. We're recording this on uh, on a Friday, and it's uh, evening in the in the UK. So hopefully, you can uh, enter the weekend in a in a positive mood and uh, and a good vibe. I'll do my best. Excellent. And of course, as always, we uh, like to give a big thank you to all of our listeners. We'll be back uh, next week with more interviews, more insights, and more analysis from the weird and wonderful world of Web three. So until next time, friends, stay crypto curious and feel free to send me questions, guest recommendations and comments. Uh, my email is nico at novic.co and you can find me on Twitter or as it's now called X at nico the fin. <laughs> DMs are open. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.